Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. Praise God. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Turn to someone near you. Tell them, I'm glad you're here. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Saw Brother Henry come in this morning. He was testifying to me that God gave him a job and an increase on that job and offered him 10 jobs since he took that job. Isn't our God able? Isn't he a mighty God? Isn't he a wonderful king? He is the Savior above all. Amen. 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 God bless you. If you'd stand with me this morning, we're going to read the word. We're going to get into the word. I'm going to point you to a couple of specific verses. One in the book of Genesis chapter 2 and then in 1 Peter. We're going to go from both, end of the, both ends of the Bible this morning. I do greet you on behalf of our pastor, Pastor Jason Staten. He is preaching in Milwaukee, Wisconsin this weekend. And he is, my opinion, the best preacher to ever step foot in shoe leather. Amen. And he is a much sought after preacher and minister, and we appreciate him very much. And I would not miss that opportunity to greet you on his behalf. We are pleased to have our first lady, Sister Valerie Staten, here. Tremendous strength in our church. Amen. And I'm blessed. She is such a blessing in my life, and I know that she is in yours as well. Amen. Great example of what a godly, godly woman should be. Amen. I greet you as the people of God. Glad that you've made your way to the house of the Lord. Isn't God good? Amen. Amen. To all of our guests, we know that you have many options, and we are thrilled that you've chosen to come and worship with us here at Living Hope. And we tell all of our guests, we pray that if Pastor Staten is not here when you are here, that you come back to hear him preach. You owe that to yourself. Not that we're not adequate when he's gone, but when he's here, we're just at another level. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, 1 verse, verse 9. Many of you know this verse. It says, Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. The Bible says this, Peter speaking, says, Whom of his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Amen. God bless you. If you'd stretch your hand out this morning, let's pray together over the remainder of this service. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Jesus, we praise you. We thank you, God. We magnify you. We know, God, that you are able. We know, God, that there's nothing that you cannot do. And we pray an anointing upon the remainder of this service. We pray, God, right now over every heart, over every mind. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to situations that we are not aware of. And we pray, God, your mercy to be released. And we thank you for the presence of God that is in this house today. Somebody agree and say in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Give your neighbor a high five and you may be seated.
in design architecture, something of which I have a very limited knowledge, well, let's go a little bit deeper than that, something of which I know very little at all, the designer, they say, must first decide what his or her primary element will be. Specifically, the designer has to decide what information or what product or which specific feature they're trying to illustrate or manifest in the design. Now, this is not the building architect. This is the design architect. So it's a little bit different here. So in layman's terms, what we're saying is they want to identify that piece that they would like the viewer's eyes to catch, that thing that they would like you and I, that composition to look at, that certain area that we should be drawn to. This designer should have, they would then determine an alignment or they would look around for some of the other elements or some of the other pieces of the design and those things which are part of the design and those things that are intended to support the prominence of those primary elements in a truly great design, often supporting elements that are actually those, those things are the things that sometimes stand out. Sister Naomi, why don't you give them for those first couple of sides so you can see what I'm talking about. There are two specific tools that they say a design architect, or, uh, architect might use. That They talk about using the design of contrast and of similarity. And so these are very simple tools and tools that you're familiar with. You may not recognize them, but they are things that shape how the audience will perceive the design. Now, I'm, I'm not, again, an architect. I'm not a designer. I'm not even probably a good builder. But I, I do know that before you really have to start with something, before you can build it, you have to come up with a concept. And generally, they call it CAD drawings and all kinds of different things they have for it. But when you start looking at these particular tools, if you're going to look at the similarities of something, you're taking that object that's something that's not the same, but it's similar. It's got a similar shape, a similar size, a similar color. And then the architect or the artist is suggesting that there's going to be something that's like this. Then they also use what they call contrast. Now, this morning, as they put our slides up and put the wonderful graphics up here, they were using contrast. And contrast are using these different shapes and sizes and colors that are they're, they're going to cause things to, to stand out, those, those elements that they want to draw your primary attention to. But what I find is the Word of God is filled with pictures of similarity. We, pro, we call these prophetic, or we call them foreshadowing, or even dispensational types. And the Almighty God is the great designer, and He uses all of these tools. He uses both similarity and contrast. Contrast is looking at something in comparison, and we're looking and comparing something there, and we're contrasting that. We're putting it on a background and making it stand out. And so once in a while, we're allowed to see something with both contrast and similarity. And there are a few of these great truths that are used in the Word of God. And there are just not very many of them that use both contrast and similarity. But one of the most striking, one of the greatest uh, illustrations, in fact, this double fact of contrast and similarity is the contrast and the similarity of two particular trees that are used in Scripture. The one we are very aware of, Brother Mitchell unknowingly talked about it this morning in, in Bible class. The one is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the other one that we're going to talk about is the cross at Calvary. 
the most important tree, the most important pieces of architecture to ever be presented to humanity. But I find in the scripture that there are some remarkable points of comparison and there are some remarkable points of contrast between these two specific bookends of the Bible. I would even go a further step back and say that of our God, of the mighty God in Christ, there is not a greater designer. Before the architect in New York City or Boston or wherever he or she may be from, before they decided that they could use contrast and similarity, our God had begun to put these things in the Word of God. I want you to understand that when he began to make a concept drawing, he indeed was not just the conceptual architect, but he was also the builder. He was also the one who was going to use that thing. Now, me, I can't, I, I'm not very good at concept. I'm not very good at building, but sometimes I do okay at using. Now, some of you are just really, you, you, you could probably come up with a, great, a, lot, a lot of great concepts. You're, you're a visionary, and you're like, man, I, I, let's build this. I got a neighbor like that, Brother Steve. And he comes over, and he goes, you know what we should do? And I immediately find somewhere else to be. He's great with concepts, but the practical side of it doesn't go very far. Because before long, my, my, my true nature comes out, and I'll say something like, well, that sounds stupid. And I didn't mean it just that harsh, but it really did sound not very smart. And he's just really good with concepts, but he doesn't get the practical side of things. And there are others that can take a concept that somebody else gives, and they can put that into practical application, and they can begin to build that thing and make it even better than what the concept was. And then there are the rest of us who can take something that someone has conceptualized and someone else has built, and they can say, I can use that. I got that can opener and I can spin that thing around that can over and over again. That fork that my wife so politely gives me every time I can work that thing like nobody else. I'm really good at it. And if on a good day, Brother Steve, I can get the knife and the fork going at the same time. But somebody had to come up with a concept of something that would put food into your mouth other than these fingers. And somebody else had to build one. And I'm sure the first concepts, the first buildings had a little splintery issues and you, you understand, right, when you go to Cracker Barrel this afternoon, you're not going to be eating off wooden spoons. And so when we begin to look this morning at these points of contrast, I want to look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the cross of Calvary, and I want to show you some points of contrast. I find it interesting, Brother Trey, that the first tree was planted by God. That tree that provided that source of knowledge of good and evil we would think that that's a human thing because we associate evil with humanity and goodness with God. But according to the scripture, God planted that specific tree right in the middle of paradise. That tree that possessed the knowledge of good and evil, wasn't, it, wasn't, it was not planted by the creature. It was, it was planted by the creator. But the second tree, the tree on which our Lord was nailed, that tree was one that would be planted by men. That one, I would think in my mind that those would be the opposite. I would think that men would plant the tree of evil and God would plant the tree of good. But when we read through Scripture, we find that it was the hands of humanity that planned and executed the most cruel and vile action in history. It was humanity that provided the tree. It was men who conceptualized the cross. It was men who erected that tree upon that brutal hill called Calvary. And in marked contrast from a tree that was planted in a garden by the Creator, 
kind of stepped back from it and said, wait a minute, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure how all of that should work. It would make sense to me that man created evil and God created good. But it was, it's always the way that God conceptualizes things. When he planted that tree in the garden, he began to think about a seed. He began to think about several thousand years later. He already knew the end from the beginning. He knew that Adam and Eve would misuse that tree. He understood what would happen because of their action. And he conceptualized. He said, I don't have to build this. All I have to do is put a seed here and something good will come out of something evil. You've got to know how Jesus Christ works. I'm reminded of the Apostle Peter on that great message of the day of Pentecost when he stood up and looking at that crowd and he begins to preach to them and he says these words to them, by wicked hands have you crucified and slain the Son of God. What, uh, what, an imposing, what an imposing argument. And so we associate the, the wicked fall of humanity to Adam and Eve, and rightly so. But they did not create good and they did not create evil. They just made the decision to leave innocence behind them. And so there's a great contrast between these two trees. But as I began to dig just a little bit deeper, I found that the first tree that was planted there in the garden was pleasant to the eyes. The Bible says, and when the woman saw the tree that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. So now exactly, we don't understand what this pleasantness was. We don't understand what it consisted of. But the Bible plainly declares that it was an object of beauty. There was some delight. There was some intriguing power that, took, that gripped her mind. And so just looking at this tree, I'm sure brought out an immense emotion, kind of how I look at a steak after church. Herbie said, yeah, I'm with you, Brother Roberts. Little, little season on that thing. If you blink your eyes, that thing's gone. What a beautiful, beautiful sight it must have been because the Word of God declares that when she simply looked at the tree, it was pleasing to her sight. It was attractive to her at every level, at every element. And even though God had forbade her to go near it, she was, she was intrigued by the beauty of that tree. But the contrast of the second tree is very distinctive and absolute. Everything about the cross was hideous. Every detail about the cross was revolting. Every scenario that we could ever think of about the cross of Calvary was offensive. There was the suffering innocent Savior. There was the vulgarity of the crowd, the taunting priest, the, the, the ability to hang the most innocent man to ever walk the planet right between two thieves. For my, from my understanding, it was the bloodiest scene in the entire Bible followed by three hours of darkness. There was nothing pleasing to the eye. It would have turned the stomach of the most hardened soldier. The first tree, so pleasant. The second tree, so horrible. And that the Bible says of that second tree that they saw in him, no beauty that they should desire him. I began to wonder about this. One tree planted in paradise, the other referred to as the place of the skull. One was tranquil, one was quiet, one was surrounded by innocence. The other was loud and boisterous, full of shouting and crying. There was wailing, the sound of the hammer, the agony of grief that accompanied it. What a great, what a great contrast between these two trees. One filled with beauty, the other rough and ugly. One a masterful work of the creator, the other fashioned by the hands of humanity, but each strikingly different. Dig a little bit deeper. 
said, what in the world? These contrasts are so remarkable. They're so different between these two trees. And yet, I find that the Word of God, the design that the designer built, he literally builds this entire Word of God around these two specific trees. We find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Lord is speaking to Adam and Eve, says, Thou shalt not eat of it. God had banned this tree, this first tree from all humanity. It was a divine injunction placed upon the fruit of that pleasant tree. The words of Eve, don't go near it, don't touch it, definitely, no matter what you do, you cannot ever eat of the tree. She would recite those words to the enemy, but no matter the difference, how immeasurably different that second tree was, how startling the contrast, how ugly that tree, there were no restrictions to the tree at Calvary's Hill. In truth, all men are invited, all of humanity is encouraged to draw near of this tree we may freely eat we may freely eat of this tree the words of Jesus in John chapter 6 before the crucifixion he said I say unto you except you eat of the flesh of the son of the son of man and drink of his blood you got no life in you and he goes on to say whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood my blood hath eternal life we come to church and we hear this. We are here. We used to hear the old songs. Uh, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The table is prepared before us, right? We understand everything, but in truth, the table is ready. It is prepared. There's a risen Savior that has told us to come under the tree. The word of God would go on and say, Come, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. The position is clear, and it's exactly reversed. The pleasant tree, the attractive tree, the tree that everyone wants to eat from, that is forbidden. But the ugly tree, the bloody tree, no one wants to be associated with. That tree is accessible. That tree is open to everyone. And so just as the commandment was made, you can eat, you cannot eat of the tree, of the first tree, but yes, come as soon as you can and eat of the second tree. There was a prohibition assigned to it. God prohibited man from the first tree. I began to think about that. That one that was so attractive. One that is so ugly. What is the correlation? What is the connection? They don't seem to, they don't seem to make any, there's no real connection there. I don't understand. But when I began to look in the word of God, the devil will do whatever he can. He's willing to do anything. He's willing to do everything he can to get you to eat from the beautiful tree. Oh, make no mistake. Make no mistake. The enemy of your soul will do anything to get you to eat from the tree of beauty. He'll, he'll do whatever it takes to get you there. But as soon as you begin to look away from the tree of beauty and begin to look at the object that is ugly, the object that is bloody, that enemy will do everything he can to prevent you from getting to the tree on Calvary's hill. Oh, come on. He's using every bit of power. He's using every trick. He's using every trade. He's using every secret. He wants you to go to the thing of beauty, but stay away from the thing that's ugly. I, got, I began to look at that, Sister Lawrence. You know, there's no fabrication too big. There's no trickery, no level of deceit that is too much. We should not be surprised. It's just another contrast designed by the Almighty God. It's fabricated. He said, I'm going to put a distinction here. In the beginning, there's a tree I don't want you to come to. But when they did come to it, 
we were exposed as humanity. And all of a sudden, all of that time, that designer, maybe abstractly, maybe in that place where it wouldn't draw attention, all through the scripture we begin to find that second tree. And we hear less and less and less about the first tree. All we're seeing is the ramifications. All we're seeing is the results of the sin that happened at that beautiful tree. And all through the tapestry of the word of God, we begin to see the design, that architecture. He begins to say, you know what? I'm going from concept to a place of building. And he begins to work through the time. He begins to work through the time to build to that place where that ugly trees could come. I find it, if it wasn't so sad, I would find it so humorous that the creator who would put this main element of the word of God we call the cross of Calvary, he would hide it in the pages of his great design and yet he would turn around and allow the enemy of the soul not only to not know about it, but to use him to build it. Somebody hear what I'm saying. He understood that that enemy was going to push you and I toward that place of beauty and reject us away from that place of beauty. But could you imagine the look on the devil's face when he realized that he was just the tool of God. He was just the one that was going to bring the abstract to light. He was just the, oh, come on, somebody. I'm preaching about the cross of Calvary. There's still blood. There's still power. There's still anointing. Oh, don't eat because that's really beautiful and you're going to want it so much, but don't eat over there. But uh, that's so ugly. That's so nasty. You better stay away from that one. He wants to get everybody away. They've even gone so far to take the blood out of the songbooks and not sing about it at church and don't preach about the cross. Well, Brother Roberts, don't you know, we just heard a message about the cross. You can never hear enough about the cross. This book is about the cross. This word is about the cross. Well, what about me, preacher? What about my situation? What about my circumstance? It's a result from the beautiful tree. But if you want healing from that situation, you got to go to the ugly. If you want to be delivered, you got to find the ugly. You gotta find the thing that's full of blood and shame and guilt. I began to think about this because I, I like food a lot. That tree in the garden, Brother Steve, must have been like that great big 24 ounce T bone. Son, the filet on one side and the T bone on this side and a big old salad. And I don't do baked potatoes, so I got some French fries. Probably some broccoli these days. So beautiful. Don't get your fingers close. I might, you could lose one. I'm just saying, I've heard. It's dangerous. But on this side, there's this ugly, nasty, looks like oatmeal with worms in it. It's nasty. You would turn your nose up to it. You'd like, I ain't eating that. I'm not, I couldn't eat that. Oh, my goodness, are you crazy? And yet, we're so hungry for the beautiful thing. 
We would just devour that thing. We would just run to that thing and put our, our energy and our time and our effort. And yet the thing, that thing is going to, it's full of poison. It's going to kill you. It's going to destroy you. And yet none of us would run to the ugly. None of us would say, oh, yes, give me that wormwood. Because there's a contrast in the word of God. And God has put this thing in his design and he's began to, to work this thing around and you would never eat that. You would never partake of that. And so that word picture comes on and there, all of this works together and we would look at what is the primary thing in the word of God. Well, it's got to be me. It's got to be my situation. It's got to be my blessing. It's got to be my, right? No, no, no. It would go even, the contracts, Brother Silvati would even go a step further. I find this antithesis so, so disturbing that that tree of beauty, they were told, you cannot eat of that tree. So our forefathers, Adam and Eve, they committed an act of thievery. They went up to that tree when they were told, you can't have it, and they took what, not, what did not belong to them. And they ate of it anyway. They stole. We don't teach it that way. We don't tell it that way, but that's the truth of it. They stole the, forbid, the forbidden fruit right out of paradise. But the Bible tells a story of a couple of other thieves. That the greatest, most innocent man to ever walk on this earth was not just crucified, but he was hung between two thieves. I don't know what. I have no idea what the thief was guilty of. I don't know if he stole because of hunger. I don't know if he stole because of want. I have no earthly idea. But what I will tell you is that these two thieves had vastly different experiences. One is more striking than the other. One, because of their thievery, was cast out of paradise. The other, because of his confession that Jesus Christ was the center of the world, was cast into paradise. Someone understand with me, there is a contrast between the trees. I began to look at some of the similarities. I began to look and I found out that both trees were planted in a garden. John chapter 19 verse 41 says now in the place where Jesus was crucified there was a garden. Both trees were not just planted in a garden. The Bible says that both were planted in the midst or in the middle of a garden. Now, this is not the most striking analogy, not the greatest theological point that we would find, but I find that it's, it's, it's a connection point between these trees. But I would go one step further, and I would say that the greatest similarity of these trees is that both trees were revelatory in their nature. The tree in the Garden of Eden represented the knowledge of good and evil. But also the cross at Calvary is also a revelatory figure in Scripture because it reveals for us some things that the tree in the garden cannot. That knowledge that is produced, that knowledge that was produced in that garden of Eden, it destroyed the innocence of humanity. It's the only place early in Scripture we began to learn about good and about evil. But as we look at the cross, as we go just a little bit deeper, we can see that the cross clearly defines for us what is evil. It's evil. It's hideous. Its nature is ugly. At the consummation and the climax, we see the weakness of humanity. At the cross, we're seeing that depravity, the highness, the, the awfulness of evil as we see that holy God hung there. But it is also at the cross that we begin to learn about the goodness of God. 
I believe there's a revelation of the goodness of God throughout Scripture. But there's no revelation greater than at the cross of Calvary. I stepped back, Brother May, and I said to myself, you know what, this may not be the most exciting sermon. They may not run the aisles and they may not shout, but I'll tell you one thing I found. I found that one tree stole innocence and the other tree restored innocence. You can't make that up. They're similar in nature. What one stole, the other one gave back. I see the goodness of God at Calvary. I see the unfathomable love of God at Calvary. Oh, come on, preacher. It's just a tree. It's just a great story. We tell our children it's more than a story. It's something. It, it was the, fed, the, the bedrock and the foundation. It was the focal point until the second tree was put together. Brother Eric, I don't believe the person who built the cross understood what they were doing. I don't believe the men who, ma- who nailed Jesus to the cross understood what they were doing. I don't believe the soldier that stuck the spear in his side really understood what he was doing. The part they were playing in history, the understanding. But I could look at that and say, wait a minute. Well, that cross in the garden or that tree in the garden, well, that wasn't the love of God. Oh, yes, it was. When God said, don't go near it, don't touch it, and don't eat it, my friend, that was covered by love. That was covered by mercy. That was covered by grace. And from that point forward, the love and the mercy and the grace of God was hard to come by. But all those years later, they would erect another tree upon a hill, and there would be an exposing of the love of God. There would be a measure of grace. There would be an outpouring of mercy. There would be, come on, somebody, that blood of the ugly tree. came this morning, preacher, I I wanted somebody to make me feel good. I wanted somebody to make me feel better. Oh yeah, let me tell you how you feel better. You reject the beautiful tree. You reject that. You just, I know it looks so good. It looks so inviting. You know, no one will know. No one has to know, but you run from that thing. You run away from that thing. You keep your distance and you run to the ugly and you find that thing that nobody wants. Come on, somebody. I still need the blood. I still need the power that comes from the cross. That tree stole paradise. This one gives it back. This one took away the innocence and that one restored it. It's a powerful ability of God when he began to look at the cross. One brought conviction. The other one brought condemnation. Somebody understand what I'm talking about. One gives us that bondage, but the other one brings redemption. One teaches us about sin, but the other gives the knowledge of mercy. Someone, someone, come on, that one showed me those things with the grace of God. The peace that come. That tree brought death. That ugly tree brought life. But the designer... All of that contrast, all of the ability, all of the power of God that rolled into that moment. How many good people, Brother Shaquan, open this Bible up and they don't see the most important thing in the Bible? It's right there. He used similarities, he used symbolism, he used foreshadowing all the way through the book. 
One tree destroyed, the other tree gave life. One tree took away, the other one gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. And we want somebody, we, we, we want to come into church, we want the preacher to say, come on, you can do better, you can preach me, I want to, I want to shout with you. If you can't shout about Calvary, you got no real shout in you anyway. If you can't get excited about the blood of Jesus, you got no real, come on, you got no real joy anyway. Your joy is just temporary unless it's about that ugly tree. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thank God for your mercy. Thank God that you poured it out upon me. I don't deserve it. I deserve the, uh, I deserve the beautiful tree, but I cling to the ugly tree. Daddy, don't take the songs of the cross out of our, don't take it out of our worship. We need the cross. We need the power and the anointing of God. Why? Because there is a contrast and a similarity. It's that finished work of Calvary. The old timers used to preach about. Oh my goodness. Over and over through scripture I find where God did those things. Brother Henry, I found the most obscure thing. In Genesis chapter 18, the story of the angels that are headed down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Angels of judgment. They're going down to destroy the most wicked cities on earth. And they just stop by Abraham's house. Let's, we're, on a, we're on a mission of judgment. We're just going to stop by Abraham's house. And, and the Bible says Abraham meets these angels. And he goes out and he greets them. Get for me verse 4, Sister Naomi, of chapter 18. And he comes up there and he says to these angels, he said, hey, why don't you take some rest here? Why don't you go over there and rest under the tree? Take a load off. I, I'll, I'll wash your feet, but I want you to rest under the tree. And I began to think about that. I said, wait a minute. What, what's wrong with your tent, Abraham? Air conditioner broke? Maybe, maybe Sarah's a bad, maybe she's just a terrible tent keeper and the tent's a mess and you don't want to invite them inside, but you're going to put these people under a tree? I don't believe for a fact. Maybe I'm taking it out of context, but I don't believe so. I believe this is tapestry woven into the word of God by the designer. I want someone to know you can still find rest for your soul under the tree. This is not just something that's hidden in scripture. This is not just an analogy. This is not just something that's going on, but you can look all through the word of God. Come on, judgment, come under the tree. I'm going to put judgment right here under the tree. Oh, come on, somebody. Abraham begins to barter with God. If I can find some righteousness, will judgment. Come on, somebody. Calvary is hidden in the Old Testament. Righteousness is a product of faith. That's what the Bible declares. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Abraham says, listen, if you'll just, 
I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. If I can find just a few righteous people, will you pass over judgment? And God says, yeah, I'll pass over judgment. Come on, somebody. There's still a tree that passes over judgment, but you got to come and find a place under the tree. Oh, I don't know what kind of sin you committed. I don't know how bad a person you are, but I know how great my God is. There's still room under the tree. There's still a place under the blood. Oh. Come on, somebody. It might not be as beautiful as that other tree, but it's... Well, Junior, I may never be rich or famous. I may never have all the great things of the world, but I got the most beautiful thing that's possible. <laughs> I got the whole, I got forgiveness. I got mercy. Come on, somebody. I'm still preaching about a tree. There's beauty in the ugly. There's truth in the ugly. There's salvation in the ugly. Come on, somebody. It's time to get under the tree. It's time to get under the tree. Come on, judgment is going to be under the tree. I know it's hidden. I know it's just contrasting. I know it's, but it's the main element, Brother Josh. It's right there. It's hidden for the whole world to see. They stole our innocence. I want to go to that ugly tree. I couldn't imagine eating worm-filled food. I thank God. I thank God for the blood. I thank God. Come on, somebody. I thank God that in 1984 I walked through the doors of an old apostolic church and a crazy red-headed preacher baptized me in the name of... I thank God. I thank God. It wasn't pretty, it wasn't ornate, it wasn't something, but it was effective. It works, it's got power. Brother Cade, we had this old, we had this old horse trough. A long time, it was just a horse trough. And then somebody built a, a nice panel that kind of dates it, cover out of paneling. And and I remember Sister stating the day I hauled that old tank away. We had emptied it, and there was about an inch or so of water in that old, that old horse trough. Nothing special about a horse trough. It was just a place of faith. And Brother Tyler, I took it down to the dump. Still had water in it. Rusty bottom. And I thought, man, I don't know how many years it had been, Brother Jones. My sins were washed away in that old tub. And I put it on the back of the truck, and I, I went down there. And I pulled up to the place down at the at the dump, and the guy says, what you got there? And I said, oh, I got, a, I got a horse trough. And he said, oh, man, let me see it. And I started thinking, I said, man, okay. He gets out, and he looks at it, and he goes, oh, that's in good shape. It had rust in it. We weren't going to baptize people in a rusty tank. And I was like, oh, it's got rust in it. And I, he said, you know, my brother's got a whole bunch of cows. He said, well, let me have that. I'll take it home. We'll, we'll feed livestock out of it. I said, well, it's great, man. We unloaded off my truck on his truck. I'm driving away. And I began to think, bro. Brother King, I said, you know, you know, oh, my Lord, all his cattle's going to start dying. 
all the sins that are in that tank. Oh, come on, somebody. I said he's going to fill it up. And all the same, the livestock, all, come on, because my sins and your sins, come on, there's a place under the tree. There's still power at Calvary. It's not as beautiful. There might be some rust in the tank. There's still blood on the hands. But there's room under the tree. If you go just a little bit further down to verse 8, Abraham says, hold on, fellas, before you go, before you go, before you go, before you go, I'm gonna let, let, me go get me a, let me go get me a little lamb, and we're going to kill that lamb and dress it, and I'm going to cook it for you. You know what? You can't find no communion greater than... Oh, Y'all wait here under the tree. Y'all just sit right here, and I'm going to fix a meal. I'm going to fix some communion. You know how we sit down, Brother Steve, and we converse. We spend some time over a meal. I'm talking to somebody who's lonely. I'm talking to somebody that you don't know what you're going to do. They're still, come on. God said, sit under the tree while I prepare some communion for you. Sit right here while I take... Oh, there's still access to heaven. There's still access to the things of God. Brother Harrison, I'd have been like, honey, go clean the tent. Go clean the tent. We got to get them inside. He said, no, 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 no. We don't got to get them inside. We just got to get them under the tree. Come play, Maddie. It wasn't long, Brother Bruce. A few hundred years. And redemption comes full cycle. You know the story. They come across the Red Sea. All the miracle after miracle after miracle. And here they are, several million people walking through the desert. And guess what? No water. And they come to that place called Mara, which means bitterness. And there they are. Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 or 23 there, somewhere in there. And, I, and the Lord began, they began to complain to Moses. Moses, this water is bitter. We can't drink this water. They've come through the Red Sea. They've already been baptized. They've already got the name of God applied. They've already got the name of Christ applied to their life. They're good to go. And all of a sudden, they found some bitterness. And the Bible says the Lord showed Moses a tree. Give me the next verse, sis. Showed him a tree. And he took that tree and he put it into that bitter water. And the ugliness was made sweet. All they wanted was something beautiful just like we want. All they wanted was something nice just like we want. But they come to that place, Brother Simpkins, where it was just ugly. It was just bitter. It just didn't taste right. It just didn't feel right. There's some people in this room today that you're here and you know the Lord. You may have a great relationship with God, but something doesn't taste right. Something doesn't feel right. And you're like, preacher, I can't, I can't drink that. It's bitter. It's harsh. It's hard. It's, it's just not what I think it ought to be. God said, show him a tree. There's a tree. It's called Calvary. 
And when you put that into the water, instantly, the water is made sweet. Listen, buddy, how many times? How many times has life? Come on, I'm looking around this room. How many times? Come on. I'm looking around. I'm looking at some faces. How many times has that word come, that call come that just brings bitterness, just brings, it's just horrible. We're like, how do I deal with this? I'm not, I don't want to drink this. I don't want to deal with this. Why is this happening to me? And God said, show them a tree. I know it's just a nondescript Sunday in the middle of August and there's not much going on and pastor's out of town. But the Lord said, show them a tree. Because if I can just get the tree into the place of bitterness, if I could just get the tree into that place that they don't understand, I can bring healing. I can, it'll be so sweet. The old songwriter used to sing, How sweet, how sweet he is. Come on, somebody. Do you remember when it was so sweet? Do you remember when? You know what? We've got to find a place again under the tree we got to find a place where the tree can be placed back into the water of life, back into that place where nothing else can. Stand with me this morning. I wish I was a better designer. I, I wish I could draw beyond a stick figure, but I really can't. That's not my gifting. It's not my ability. But Jesus Christ knew you'd be here this morning. He understood that all of the beauty of life has left bitterness in your life. He understood that all of those things that you're seeking after have left you wanting and hungry. But the application of the cross is still the same in that Bible. you got to find a place under the tree. Well, I'm coming to church. Good for you. That's just a tent. It's just a dwelling place. And you might find some mess in there, but you're really not going to get what you need in the tent. You've got to go under the tree. What are you talking about, preacher? I'm just talking about it's a positioning in Christ. I'm talking about repentance and asking God to forgive you because those men of judgment are standing at the door. And God said, I've got a provision for judgment. And for those that are here this morning that are lonely and hungry and wondering what they're going to do, there is a communion. Could you imagine? Abraham rushing around, well over a hundred years old, takes that little goat out, and again, not very pretty. He kills that baby, he flays that thing out, begins to cook it over the fire, and there he goes. Steve, he sits down with judgment. <laughs> and they begin to eat the bread of peace. They begin to share the meal of forgiveness and he begins to barter if you can find some faith if you can find some righteousness will you move judgment oh yeah I will I will just a few just a few just a few I don't need a lot but I just need somebody who will have some faith and right there while they're communing right there while they're sharing that coming right there while they're eating that meal the, that judgment sitting under that tree Come on, somebody, I'm preaching to somebody that life has been bitter and life has been horrid and life has been, come on, and you're sitting, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Uh, put the tree in the water. 
Let the Lord show you a tree. Let the Lord show you a place of provision. I'm going to open this altar this morning. I'm preaching about two trees. I'm talking about the primary element in the Bible. God has brought the thing to light this morning. Come on, somebody. It doesn't matter what you need today. I'm encouraging you to fill this altar. I'm encouraging you to come, not because I said so, but because there's a tree. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.